this is episode 12 of Surviving Sky. This episode is going to be the first of its kind. I'm going to be having a conversation with the Dean of the College of Media and Communications at Texas Tech University. David Perlmutter is a lifelong academic. So when he reached out to me about an idea for an episode, I was um, a little confused. <laughs> I mean, I make TikToks. I have this little podcast. I talk about Sky's disappearance and my struggles with mental health. What could a college professor want to talk about with me? He was interested in the media aspect of the story. He was interested in my family's perspective on how we handled the media and how we also handled the police. He wanted to know more about the protocols that the police and the media had in place for us what worked, and ultimately what didn't work, and the differences in the American systems and the Japanese systems. So we talk about all those things and the lessons learned. Because ultimately, he wants to use this as a tool to help educate his students. And that is how I was sold on the idea. I understand the realities of a missing persons case, especially since Sky has been missing for 14 years. I may never get answers, but if I could help educate people on how to handle situations like this or how to help others handle situations like this, I think that's a win-win. So without further ado, this is my conversation with Dean David Perlmutter. Hi, um, thank you for joining me this morning. Um, you are David D. Perlmutter. You are the Dean of the College of Media and Communications for Texas Tech University. You're a PhD, you're a professor, you're a Dean. Um, you have books, countless academic papers in magazines and in academic journals. So um, why are you talking to me today? <laughs> Well, for the last 30 years or so, I have been a journalism professor as well as some other things. And I've studied under the umbrella of persuasion and political communication of basically how we persuade people to do something. And I tend to study like not like interpersonal persuasion, like within a couple or something like that, but like the big picture of countries and mm -hmm. big, big, big historical events. So I've focused a lot on visuals, on how famous news photographs or famous paintings or other kinds of famous images may have had some sort of political influence. I have done work on international communication. And oddly, or I think within that, but, but not so crazy, years ago, I followed around the officers of a local police department. I did a project where I, it was a one-person squad car, and I sat there, and I went through their day. And this was for a couple of years. I took oh. pictures. It was what's called in the visual ethnography, where I take pictures, and I use that to sort of document what happened. It's half. It's sort of halfway between academia and, and doc, journalism. Uh -huh. right? And I also talked to the officers because I was very interested in this question of taking police, law enforcement, true crime, now we call it true crime and criminal affairs, 
most of us luckily don't have a personal experience where we see like how the police department works from the inside unless we're a police yeah, officer yeah. or we have a great tragedy befall us like like your, you and your, your family so we're newbies when it comes to what's the world but but we have but we've watched a lot of tv and we've watched a lot of movies <laughs> mm -hmm. and we have stereotypes of like what the police are supposed to do and how they're supposed to act and what they're supposed to look like or, or talk like. Yeah. And so I was interested in how the people that we met, whether it was a victim or a suspect or just an ordinary bystanders reacted to the police, I think based upon those media stereotypes and how police acted to some extent reflecting those media stereotypes because they live in the same society we do. And just to yeah. give a quick example, there would often be the case that we would go sh through a shift and this is Minnesota. And so, and often I would be at the late shift, the dog shift, so like 11 PM to 7 AM in January, not a lot of street crime. Mm -hmm. uh, no, but there would be cold. Somebody, <laughs> it was very cold, uh, missing persons. We'll talk about that. You know, there were a couple of missing persons and like, do you send 50 people into the woods? at 2 a.m. when it's minus 40 to look for somebody, right? Yeah. Okay. And we can talk about that because yeah. I think it's in relation to your case there. And so I saw that the police also were going, like sometimes they would apologize to me, gee, Dave, we had no action in this shift. And I said, no, no, that's fine. That's fine, I'm right? Like <laughs> I'm here to document what you actually do, but, but I thought it was interesting that they realized the stereotype was that police officers have a life of nonstop action and violence, which is not true. As you know, most police officers never fire their gun and certainly yeah. never shoot anybody. Uh, it, it's a dangerous job, but sometimes it, it's not a very eventful job for hours and hours and hours. So anyway, that I wanted, I, so I've always been interested. And then probably about a year ago, I became interested in the phenomenon of true crime as a genre of media. We have a college of media and communication here. We have about 2,500 students. We produce a lot of people who work for corporations and for government doing their media. And I'm talking about everything like airlines and power companies and, 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 and law, law, uh, lawyers offices and police departments doing media. I just spoke a couple of weeks ago to the Texas Sheriff's Association. And I was talking about the importance of them not waiting for an incident to hold a press conference, but having a constant social media stream explaining yeah. everything that people what police do making sure to build relationships not just with the local newspapers but with like people and bloggers and, and youtubers and tiktokers yeah so i'm it interested definitely in should because it's a lot of uh us against them that i yes. see yeah. you know and, that and it becomes that way i mean we'll talk about it but like uh for example a, a couple just last week i was talking to the people on the missing maura murray podcast mm -hmm. and you know they, they're it's not always that there's an antagonistic, and I'm putting that in quotation marks, relationship necessarily between family of a victim or a missing person and police, but there's a lot of seeds of that in the yes. way that, that families think about things and the way police procedures. And then there's journalism, my, my journalism hat. So I started, I, started I, just, I discovered you through TikTok. I think you're doing an amazing job of being something that we wanna show our students of independent content creation. You are not financed you. by Jeff Bezos. No. <laughs> you're, you're, you're not a subsidiary no <laughs> by IBM. You're, you're doing this all on your own. Yeah. I think there's so many lessons to learn there about 
creating that and the, the, the journey that you've made and the lessons you've learned. So I'm just very happy to be here to talk to you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so I actually started out as a communications major in school and I had a brief stint doing um, freelance journalism with MTV. And that was, it was, I was doing that for like two months and then my sister went missing. So the way I view media and stuff right, like at that moment, I was like, I can't do this. Cause there was something that was just so inauthentic when I was writing a story. And then when you become the story, it's, it's something that you don't really think about if you are just like writing the story or, um, yeah, it changes your perspective. So, but I'm excited to just talk about all of this. <laughs> I guess it would be helpful if people haven't been watching all of your TikTok <clears throat> or listening to all of your podcasts or, or are sort of new to the story. If maybe you told a little bit about the narrative, but focused on the relationship with media from the beginning. And then of course you, you have this amazing case study of, of American media jumping to Japan media, which are very, yeah, yeah. very different, yeah, different yeah. culture, different ways of interacting with police and media. And you've already, I know, done some great work. I've listened to the podcast of you talking about you and your mother in Japan and the, the, the culture shift and slams that you went through mm -hmm. there. But let's just talk about something real <clears throat> simple is that when you found out that your sister was missing in Japan, did you have contact with um, with New England area media? Did this become a story? Did you get phone calls? It took a while for it to become a story. So um, Sky left on April 1st, 2008. She took a one-way ticket to Japan. She didn't notify anybody, didn't tell anybody in the family. Um, my brother had happened to... Um, on his computer, she had used um, the computer a few times, logged into her email. So her password was saved there. We were able to log into her email and we found the itinerary. Um, at that point, it was actually like three days after. It was probably April 3rd. And my mom had called the police and we waited for them to show up. And it took about like two hours. And the police station's maybe like three miles down the road. They were just like, she's 21. What do you want us to do? You know, and when we were able to tell them about the itinerary, then they took it a little bit more seriously. But due to the fact that she went to Japan, the jurisdictions were different and they were kind of out of their depth. So that's something to keep in mind. <laughs> there is no protocol really other than like file a missing persons report when somebody goes missing and then that's it so it wasn't until I want to interrupt it for a second there because that's a really important point to, to unpack is that police and journalists have protocols in place for cases that they come across you report mm -hmm. your car has been broken into you report a stolen bike right or you're speeding and they catch you speeding they have a script journalists also have a script of plug and play uh, you know, 
local store robbed, you know, murder on Main Street, right? But the moment it starts getting more complicated, the <laughs> it starts getting multi-jurisdictional, the moment roadblocks occur, it, uh, it's, it is out of the element. And of yeah, course, yeah. they're focusing on day-to-day, -day, right? So like it, on television, this is where we have this connection. It's like, of, of like what happens on TV. Uh, the, the police chief calls Interpol, you know, and <laughs> my friend Bobby at Interpol will now do an all points bulletin of planet Earth looking for your, your sister. That kind of stuff doesn't happen. It right? doesn't exist. Yeah, that technology doesn't exist. <laughs> but we have certain expectations. You know, there's the CSI effect of like that suddenly this FBI crime team will helicopter, black helicopter will come to your house and yeah. and, 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 and they'll do a forensic a computer audit of your computer and, and everything like that. But yeah. these things are not within the normal range of what a local police department or local newspapers or magazines, uh, TV stations do. Yeah, no. No, it wasn't until we actually had to physically go to Japan because we weren't able, um, the police department here or the FBI wasn't able to do anything for us until we went to Japan. Um, FBI actually didn't do anything for us at all. It wasn't high, pri high uh, profile enough. And we had to physically go to Japan to file a police report there. We ended up holding a press conference, I believe it was like April 13th. And that was when we started getting media coverage. And I'm sorry, you're saying so many great things. <laughs> FBI, one mm -hmm. of the expectations that people have is they're going to call in the FBI, right? But the FBI only comes in. Well, they can come in if they want to. I mean, mm -hmm. that's serious. But also, they, they have only, money. Yeah, they, only if they come in. I mean, pro, high profile enough case. Yes. Yeah. Yes. A phone call made. The FBI will show up. But mm -hmm. but normally, uh, there is. Yeah. They don't investigate murders. They are charged to investigate kidnappings. And if, if now if somebody crosses state lines, with foul intent there's foul intent uh -huh. and i think they also have jurisdiction but but interestingly as i understand it like if the if they go from mass if somebody kidnaps somebody and takes them from massachusetts to connecticut the fbi can definitely get involved there uh -huh. that's jurisdiction but if somebody voluntarily gets on a plane and flies to japan no crime has been committed no and as a 21 year old sky was 21 she's an adult there's no like paper trail of any mental health issues or any criminal activity. So there's no concern. So there's no crime in just leaving, essentially. Um, it may be, it was definitely suspicious for our family. Nothing about it made any sense, but there was nothing that we could prove that there was something foul or anything really. It was just, It just, she just disappeared. What hurt, I feel like the investigation was when the news started coming out from the American perspective. So there was an ABC news article and the headline was suicidal students, one way ticket to Japan. And that word right there, suicidal. Like How long was that after she disappeared? That was April 16th. So how long? How many days after her disappearance? Was um, sixteen days. Okay, so within this is what I find interesting is in 
we talked about this with the Maura Murray case, is almost within a couple of weeks, a narrative has been established. Mm -hmm. And one of the problems, both in police work and journalism, is that once a narrative has been fixed, it's very hard to deviate people from it. They keep yes. trying to, the, the new information that comes in, they try to fit into the narrative that's already there, yes. right? Yes. They don't want to sway, hey, <clears throat> our previous headline was wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, they won't do that. They yeah. may like make, change the wording on a headline a little bit and then maybe make up for it in the uh, content, the context of the, um, the article itself. But like, if that headline says like the wrong thing or sets the narrative a certain tone, nobody like people have already made up their mind after they read a headline, you know, they may not read through it then they may not care like who's looking for a suicidal girl, you know. Did, did, did that headline of suicidal did did that get to Japan before you did when you no. show? No. So that came most, we held, we held a press conference about, I think it was April 13th um, in Japan, in Tokyo. We flew down to Tokyo because it was more of a, like a, media, uh, a major media hub because we were up in Sapporo and Hokkaido. That was, nobody goes there. Like nobody that's like visiting from like anywhere else would go there. It's just not like a tourist destination. So in order to get the most media coverage, we flew down to Tokyo to hold a press conference there. Um, the Japan Times headline was American woman missing in Hokkaido. That's it. It was just like, so, so that was from your point of view, that was pretty reasonable. Just yes. the fact yes. American woman missing. There wasn't any assumption of anything. No, here. it was, it's only like three paragraphs long and it just gave the facts, the story real quick. It didn't tell you what to think, you know, in her picture. Hmm? Did it show her picture? It did. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Now you've said before on your podcast that, and, and you've, you've mentioned just now, this area of Japan is not a high traffic tourist area. Westerners. You, yeah. When you were walking down the street, you said you were often the only. Only Westerners one. There. Everybody knew we were there. <laughs> and so one of the the mysteries here is this related to media is that if it got media attention in japan and you and eventually you're going to tell us because you later on you said you were there was pretty large media attention like you yeah. filled the room there one of the mysteries is that she must have stood out pretty much of course because the thing is as soon as me and my mom landed we were looking around and like oh they're gonna find her like no questions asked like we stuck out like sore thumbs and my sister was bigger than me and it was just there was you could see her from space like it was just that kind of environment you know so at, when we first got there we were kind of like relieved in a way because we were just we assumed that she would be seen because there was no way that she couldn't have been seen and when we got to the embassy they had like missing persons flyers and then the way the community is set up there each there's like neighborhood um like police posts and they have missing persons flyers up so her picture was up all over the place and it was on the news i remember after having the press conference like people knew who we were i remember when i flew back one of the flight attendants gave me like this charm and wished me all this like good luck she like everybody 
knew who we were while we were there. By the time you finished your first trip to Japan, and your first and last, right? Because you have not gone back. Yeah. um, First and last trip to Japan, you felt you got a lot of coverage there. We felt pretty good about it because it was honestly the only way any leads came in. We had like four actual like substantial leads that were like legit. So that was helpful. Without the media coverage, we wouldn't have gotten any leads, you know? So you see, I mean, this this is what something you've learned, which a lot of people, again, who you know, we hope very few families have to go through this, is that this dependency, on the one hand, the media are saying things sometimes we don't like that's inaccurate or intrusive. You've you've been very eloquent in talking. Your your family is not a public family, right? No. There's no Kardashian <laughs> gene. Nope. And that's most of us, right? Most of yeah. us are interested in like our lives being on the news or or talk shows or something like that, right? But then, on the other hand, you, the media are crucial, absolutely crucial mm-hmm. to getting to something as much as like oh yes i saw her yeah at place at this time mm-hmm. right it is yeah it was necessary we couldn't have gotten anything without it um and i was thankful um for the way that the japanese media had covered it i felt like once we started seeing the articles coming out from the states i was me and my mom were both like, I'm glad she went missing in Japan, to be honest, because wow. it was just like, it was like a gut punch reading some of the articles, just like um, the Associated Press one, I feel like was fine. But the uh, there was like, and there weren't too many. So there was probably like four articles that I actually remember from um, when, there you are. <laughs> Um, yeah, there was about like four articles that I remember. There was an ABC news one, which said the suicidal one. And there was an article that her college had put out that was just actually pulled, I think, from the AP. They kind of just took a few articles and kind of just put it together. I only remember talking to, um, which one was it? So... It was, I remember being in Japan and we were starting to get emails from um, media back at home. And because of the time difference and because of like the way just the internet infrastructure worked, it was really hard to communicate back. So I remember I was trying to email one of the reporters and I wasn't getting back to him fast enough. Like he, I, I ended up calling him and I'm like, I think we need more time before we can release a statement, blah, 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 blah. And he like hung up on me. It was like that. And I was just like, mm, yeah. So <laughs> if we could talk about that for a moment, again, this is where not only for journalism, is there a script, but there's also a timetable and that yeah. timetable has radically changed over the years. I, I'm, I'm old enough to remember the news of the 1970s and 80s before the internet and there was something called a news cycle 
<laughs> yeah. So, for example, you, you you may have seen this in like older movies or something like that, where the the physical paper is being printed at like twelve fifty two a.m. and like somebody runs in and says, "Stop the presses!" Right? There's a new headline, or they might even come out with multiple editions a day. But there was there was a certain time where you had to go to bed, like you had mm -hmm. to put the paper to bed. And if you missed that deadline, then you were going to miss the paper or you're going to miss the 11 o'clock news or something like that. There was there was time to think about stuff. Yeah, also, yeah. reporters, and this is really a, an important aspect of this, is the average journalist was hardworking, but did not have to produce as many stories as they mm -hmm. do now. Yeah. And there were multiple layers of editors above them. Now the average journalist working for a local paper or broadcast station has to produce a lot more stories in a day. Uh -huh. And it's going to edit them themselves. And it's probably there's probably going to be like maybe one layer of editing or none before it goes there. Yeah. So the pressure to just get it done and move on to the next thing is tremendous. And if yeah. you don't cooperate, then then they're going to move on. Yeah, yes. they're going to move on or you get like not a, the facts are mixed up or something. Yep. Uh, there's a famous phrase long ago that journalism is the first draft of history. And one of the things I've done in my career is I've studied those first drafts. They're always wrong. <laughs> right. I know I go through always some of the wrong. articles and there's just yeah. tiny little things that are wrong. And I'm just like, yeah. like, I understand the process. Like, I always try to just see both sides of things. But I'm just like, it's unfortunate that. Yeah. And, and those errors get embedded yes and and trust me like 30 years later somebody writes a story they're still there yes like they're, they're yes. like a tick you know yeah yeah <laughs> news, you can't i call them information ticks they just latch on and like until un unless somebody's gone back to the original if there was a court case gone to the original court court documents the original transcripts the you know coroner's report missing persons report unless somebody's looked at the original interviews with people those news ticks can just stay forever yeah. in the public consciousness and there's so many famous cases true crime has made this a lot of attention to this where if you go back you're like everybody knows this about john Manet ramsey and you go back and like no it was but, never true yeah it was something somebody got wrong you know the fifth day and it's just stuck and stuck and stuck and stuck there now going back to japan um have you tried to keep in touch with, I mean, you, I know you've kept in touch with the embassy somewhat, but like Japanese media, have they followed up with you? No. Um, basically, I mean, when we, maybe like two weeks after we got back from Japan, like a talk show had reached out and we're like, we want to do like a reunion special <laughs> if you find her. But that was, that was it. Um, basically, as soon as we left, that that was it and right now i reached out to the embassy and i wanted to get the police report from japan and i can't have access to it unless i get a lawyer due to like privacy laws they told me i can't have access to it due to its um sensitive nature so so even though you're the family so you so there's a file there mm -hmm. and you've never seen it Nope. And, and is that is that a matter of jurisdiction or this is Japanese police practice? Like if you were Japanese, <laughs> do you think they would say something different? 
Have you, well, I don't know if anybody. I empathy. think it's something. I think it's both of those. And even the because um, I asked the um, the person at the consulate, like who, like what, do you have any? Can you recommend a lawyer? And they were like, no. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. So yeah, yeah. this was a question that I asked as a thought experiment for the the missing Maura Murray podcast folks. Is that as you I, you know the case actually didn't happen far from where you are. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was also a case of some, I think she was like 21 or 22 or something. 21. Like yeah. Yeah. And Same. she's, she's missing and there's no crime still, you know, listed as having yeah. been committed. And I said, so a thought experiment, you're the podcaster. They have no relation to the family. I mean, they're not like relatives or anything like you are. Mm -hmm. But suppose you're the police chief and you get a in Japan or I guess in with the Mora Murray case in, in like New, New Hampshire or something. And you get a phone call saying, I'm so and so. Uh, I'm an adult. I ran away. I'm I'm OK where I am now. Stop looking for me. I'm not sure what a police department in the United States would do because that is an adult and we have a right to privacy in the U S constitution. So if somebody said like, I don't, I, I have no interest in talking to my family again, I'm out, you know, just stop looking for me. I, some of the things that the police have done in that case lead me to, I, and I'm not an expert, but like, you know, it's almost, you almost wonder whether they've already got it solved and they just can't talk can't about anything. It. Um, like Japanese, uh, they Japan has a lot of strict privacy laws. Yeah. So there could be that. You know, so, so it is a possibility that they know what happened, but but they can't say anything. If something, well, I mean, obviously this is this is a bad happening, but like if, if something worse bad happened, you'd think that they would be able to tell you. I believe so, but I remember like early on they let us know that you know, they can kind of like let us know that they found her, but it would be up to her to contact us. And I think due to the fact that we were like Americans in Japan, they would give us that courtesy of being like, hey, we, we found her, but that's it. That's all we can say. Yeah, and, and, and I just feel so bad for families in these situations. And of course, one of the things that's clear as you listen to these different true crime cases, and I'm, I'm sorry, by the way, if, if, if I'm putting you under the genre of true crime as if like your life story is a genre. It's okay. <laughs> every, every family is its own and human. Yeah, and, yeah. It's like, I don't people. necessarily consider it a true crime because it, technically a crime hasn't been committed. Yeah. And that's what's frustrating because there's like, you're in this gray area. You're constantly in this limbo. And, and we then, don't know in many of these cases. I mean, some of them we do, and there's been a court case and all that stuff. Yeah. But some of them, yeah. Do you do you feel that there's anything more that you know? If you had it all over again, just talking about media, mm. sounds like you said yourself the Japanese media did what seemed helpful at the yes. time. Yes. Is there anything more that could have been done or should have been done? And since then, I mean, obviously, I guess you, you wouldn't mind if they kept doing you know, update stories and still missing, right? Yes, yes. If they could do updated stories. But I think, I mean, when you're in the throes of it, the anxiety, the fear, the just like, 
you you don't know how to react to something like that and you don't know who you are as a person when until you're in that situation you know until you react um let's talk about that i'm sorry every time you speak you say something really interesting (laughs) interrupting you so i apologize but like i we 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 produce people here in our college who end up being specialists in crisis communication. And, mm-hmm. and, and this is the disparity. And I actually used your case, I think in the Maura Murray podcast as an example of disparity. You know, if you're the Ramsey family, you, you know, not only are you used to dealing with media, but you can hire three publicists and four lawyers mm-hmm. and call the police chief and call the, you know, the president, the FBI. I mean, I don't know whether that actually happened, but the point is you have resources, you have capital yeah, resources, yeah, yeah. you have social resources, you have political resources you're an ordinary family that didn't have any of that yeah I mean, to go to, to to pay for a trip to japan must have been a huge stretch for you yeah it for yeah family. it was my mom and i just we just put everything on our credit cards we just split it and then yeah, yeah. within like two weeks it was like over 10 grand of just expenses yeah. and yeah. then the thing is like when you're in that situation yeah you you've seen um You've watched movies, you've watched TV, you think you know what's gonna happen and you, you're relying on these systems, the laws, the police, to kind of help you, guide you through it. But the thing is, they don't, they don't know there's no play, there's no either. Play. Yeah, again, if, if, you're, if you hire one of our graduates who's working for an airline, they know what to do. Mm-hmm. They've, they've planned everything in advance. Yeah. But if you're an ordinary family, there's almost no one to turn to. I mean, no. not even the lawyer can really help you no. with what to do with like, again, working with the media. Um, exactly. One piece of advice that, that I, I mean, I, nobody's asked me, but I just, I would, I would think in that situation, which you've done organically is that to have a spokesperson for the family, to mm-hmm. not have like every cousin having their own theory and, yeah. and tossing the other, like, that gets messy. family, the family sort of coming together and saying, okay, whenever the media reaches out, cousin Joe is going to be our spokesperson. Yeah. And but I, th- and, I and think when you see- You've done that, right? You, <laughs> the thing is, it depends on the family. And it depends because right. everybody in my family has reacted differently to the situation. Um, and nobody stepped up. I saw my dad crumble. I saw my mom just go inward and my brother just disappear somewhere. So nobody, um, it just depends on you, like your family dynamic. I never really had a conversation with my family being like, I'm going to talk about this right. until after I started talking about it because it's so uncomfortable because everybody's been so affected by it. And it in their own way and you don't want to ruffle feathers because it's like i'm trying to be empathetic enough to my family because i know they want answers but they don't know how to actually find answers or how to be comfortable speaking about it and they put being from my parents being from a different generation they put a lot of trust in the police and the powers that be only to feel just let down and just destroyed by not the relationship with media and the police creates its own stressors in the family yes and sometimes like you know why is so and so getting all the attention and also as i've seen in in the few cases that i've looked at 
there's differences of opinion in families. If you oh, look yeah. at like the news coverage of some of the other cases, the mother will be saying something different than the father, than the cousin, like yep. entire speculative theories that are different about what yes. happened, right? Yes. And of course, in some family dynamics, you know, somebody has some some guilt there too. But but mm -hmm. or, but but the the point being that it's it's just very very hard for ordinary folks, which are ninety nine percent of us, to react well in this situation and to re to do the <laughs> yes. smart thing. And it, it's all retrospect. Yeah, like there was so many silly things that we did in the beginning like i know on the missing persons flyer it had my own personal email address on it to be contacted and my parents phone number my home phone number at the time was on the missing persons flyer in japan and something like that should have been you know it should have just been like the consulate or the police or a separate email that could be accessed by a few people if needed to assess this because i started great, getting that's a great protocol there mm -hmm. is immediately create a contact email like you know missing sky at yes. gmail.com yes something Don't... so simple yeah but it's something like when you're or in buy the a moment. burner phone <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. You know? when you're in the moment you're not thinking about that um and everybody like my mom went completely blank like when we discussed like our trip to japan she remembers things completely differently than i do because of the stress like you just you don't know what you're going to take in and what you're not going to take in and how you remember things but i remember getting emails like i would get home when we got home from japan i was getting emails on my personal like email account i was 24 at the time and it was from people just trying to extort us for money, saying that we know where she is. She's locked in a basement and send money this way. And I was just like, um, what do I what do, what do I do with this? You know, like, why am I why was this on me? Because we just didn't think of it because the protocols weren't in place to let us know, like, hey, let's set up a separate email. <laughs> like I went into it because I saw how my family was reacting. I went into it trying to be like a hero, but like even with good intentions, you're just going to make mistakes. Like something like that I shouldn't have been handling. And I remember trying to forward it to the police or the FBI and I got no response. I got nothing. They, I ended up doing my own um, like research in the email address and trying to find it. And then I connected with somebody else who had a similar case to mine and they were also receiving emails from the exact same person. I don't think most people know about that. And and this brings okay. up the question in the 70s and 80s when we said the media. I'm old enough to remember my my parents were were educated they were professors um and we subscribed to like two or three newspapers and we got a magazine called Time magazine. We got a magazine called Newsweek which I think my students have no idea what those those are. What? Uh <laughs> and we watched the CBS Evening News with Walter Cronkite mm -hmm. and my, my parents, our household got a lot of information, you know, yeah. we were sort of information rich and they're probably maybe too, too much, but it, it was a time when the media was really a very small number of defined channels and, mm -hmm. and medium there. Now the media are everybody, right? Yeah. So 
people, what you just said, people, I don't think a lot of people know that, that like, okay, I'm going to get my phone number out there. I'm going to get my email out there. I'm going to get in from the public and help find my sister. And then you get some evil scum. Mm. Uh, immediately, their first thought is, I will try to extort money from yeah. this tragedy. And then you go to Reddit, right? Or something like that. And people are making... Yep. So people are making positive comments. People are maybe making some helpful observation, but there's also people saying, oh, it's obvious that, you know, that uncle must have done it or so, just just yeah, crazy, yeah. Yeah. crazy stuff yes. that is very hurtful and destructive to anybody who from the family who touches it. Yeah, I was actually watching um, one of the Maura Murray like specials on TV. And something that I found really interesting is Mora went missing maybe like four or five days after Facebook actually launched. And yes. so people say that she was like the first missing person of the, the social media era. Yeah. yeah. But you know what? To be honest, that was probably a really good time because people weren't pushing the limits of what is appropriate to yeah. put online. People were still had some common decency. But in 2008, when I started, <laughs> I made a YouTube video and I put it out there for um, to help find Sky and I put it on social media and it was disgusting. It was awful. So at that point, people started getting a little bit more brazen with how they were acting online because there was still a lot of, um, you know, you can hide behind the screen. And and we've we've there's been research in our field, communications and in computer science for many decades. I mean, going back to the early, I mean, you're you're too young to remember bulletin boards in the sort of pre-social media era where where flame wars over like journey fans you know yeah yeah, yeah. like forums and like message boards yeah. i remember all that yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. i'm older i'm older than you think <laughs> <laughs> but 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 so anytime you give somebody the shield of pseudonymity or anonymity we have research that shows people will say and do things that they yes. would never do face to face yeah and now that is metastasized into just an all-out free-for-all just meanness, just yeah. meanness, not, not, not like I want to make a political point, you know, or something like that, but just people who are on the internet and social media and Reddit, whatever, just to hate that yes. their one goal is to make people feel bad. And, and we, we were mentioning what we're starting, we're both animal lovers. And so I, I see a lot of animal TikToks, you know, hamster TikToks, hamster TikToks. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. Why are there trolls on hamster TikTok? And cat TikTok, and you read the comments, and and, and yes, the majority of comments will be, "Boy, that's a beautiful cat." But yeah. then you, somebody took time out of their day to say, "Your hamster is ugly; it should die." <laughs> and I'm going like that human being is somebody that I bump into at United probably, and they hold a regular job. They're probably not, you know, an actual troll in the basement with like you know, one eye sticking out or something like that and a humpback. They're probably a normal person in real life. Yes. And they got on to a hamster TikTok just to say just something. Hate. Yeah. And and then imagine that, you know, upscaled up to missing persons and true crime. Oh, yeah. And it's I know. unbelievable. Yeah. And you've suffered it. Luckily, I don't, I don't take it too personally when I do come across it. I'm just like, man. You know, sometimes I feel like I waste my time just like staring at a wall, but like at least I'm not doing that kind of shit. That's 
it's low. But I remember, like, so early on, we tried to use social media, but it backfired. It was really upsetting. Um, so we kind of didn't go that route because it just, it was, like, just full of just mean, meanness. Because I, there's still some, like, anime message boards and forums and even on Reddit about Sky's case, like older posts. And there's just, yeah, there's a lot of like grossness. I remember when, um, like, I had a hard time dealing with this, obviously. <laughs> it's kind of rough. <laughs> but um, I ended up moving. Like, I had to leave Connecticut. I live in California now. I kind of had to run away from it because my parents weren't dealing with it. I didn't know how to deal with it. And I remember being here in Los Angeles and I go on Reddit because like every once in a while, like I do deep dive to see if I find anything on Sky. And I found somebody on Reddit who knew where I lived, even after I got married, changed my name and left, you know. And it gets it gets a little crazy. And it wasn't until actually the pandemic and having a son that I actually knew I kind of had to do, I, I had to do more with this. And that's why I started, my husband had recommended doing TikTok. Just, you know, talk about this, the story, talk about Sky, talk about your feelings, put it out there and just see what happens. Um, and social media is a different place now. It's a little bit nicer and I'm a little older so I can handle it a little bit better. And it's actually, it's been so good now. And even if trolls come along, I just like, whatever. But you can imagine somebody that maybe doesn't have your your savviness or your your temper that you can take this and move on. How, at, and how traumatic it is. I mean, it, 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 it's traumatic in any way, but like mm -hmm. to anyone who's gone through some great loss, it, it is like you're 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 going through it's a double crime yeah the, the, the social media <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're 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 kicking the victim again mm -hmm. uh the victim's the victim's family and it's really just remarkable uh to me i i sometimes in my more dark moments i i think about advocating real name only on the internet like that would be like a law that says you, you can't have an, an anonymous or pseudonymous presence I, that, obviously that would create a whole bunch of other problems but boy the amount of trollness would yeah would, would if every if your picture and your home address were right next to every internet <laughs> comment you made i mean it's so easy to like find people out these days anyways you know yeah so well that that's something else is is you, you know you display a certain technological sophistication because i think again the average mom whose like daughter goes missing or something like that who may be in their 50s mm -hmm. and i'm not being ageist because i'm old myself but 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 may not, not, yeah. not may not be like finding have you ever confronted anyone i mean if you looked somebody up and like said hey you, you know you, I know who you are. You wrote this comment. Why did you do that? They don't, I don't think they deserve my time. I can look them up and know who they are and keep an eye on them. I have no problem doing that if it becomes an issue. But if it's like a one-off, I don't really care. So. What would you tell other families that are going through this in terms of a playbook for when time has passed? 
because right now we're we're how many how long since sky has disappeared 14 years and what i've noticed is that some for example in some of these longer missing cases they're still showing the pictures of and 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 by the way i i loved your comment on this there there's there's a, a sort of problem there in that when you show pictures from when somebody's younger, there's more sympathy. Yeah. Because you think, oh, this young girl and her, her family, right? When yep. they show those age progression pictures, I've never done an experiment on this, but I wonder whether like, okay, it could be helpful. And I, I, I don't know the science of it. So I don't know how many people yeah. actually look like age progression. And you'd think like, well, what have they gone through or what, whatever, what. You know, exactly. Yeah. But, but I've, my theory has always been that that reduces sympathy because first it makes it look like, oh, they're alive somewhere. They're just older. Right. Yeah. And then second, well, you know, younger animals, younger humans, we're, we're just more sympathetic. We're, we're programmed by evolution, mm -hmm. right. To, to care more about babies than you know me. Yeah. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what, what are your thoughts on that? On I've had a lot of people ask me to do like an age, progression on sky so sky was 21 when she went missing and i look at photos of myself at 21 and photos of me now i don't see a huge difference that couldn't just be kind of assumed i guess i have reached out to a forensic artist and i would have to supply photos of everybody in the family and like how long time has gone by but ultimately, I'm just like, we're pretty similar looking. And I'm just like, just look at me. Like, <laughs> like she's probably looking at like me or just ver a variation of this. I just, I never pulled the trigger on it because another thing that I, like something I would tell other families of missing um, people is that everything costs money, everything. So if you want to get a no forensic... insurance policy, right? That's the yeah. other thing is that almost every other tragedy that or, or happy happenstance that befalls you, you know, hail the damages your car. Mm -hmm. you, you most normal middle class people have somebody, somebody to go for recompense. But there's no I mean, I, I guess maybe the super wealthy may have kidnapping insurance. I, I think it, I've, I've heard it exists or like missing insurance, but like, but you don't think of your normal state farm policy to cover. I don't think, I think there would be like an exemption to be yeah. honest. They'd write it into the fine print that you wouldn't see, like they, they're not going to pay out, but like just to get a forensic um, photo, it's about like 450 to get just a lawyer. It's a lot. <laughs> yes. I remember and a lawyer in another country and like then a translator yeah. and then um getting a private investigator so something people are like oh get a private investigator so a private investigator isn't going to have access to the police records they don't the police don't need to hand that over to them a lot of times in some cases i know the Maura murray case they didn't want to hand over the police records to the family you know so there's so like a private investigator i think just to get one on retainer back in 2008 it was like eight thousand, and then they also needed a translator and just like every you know any other thing that comes along with that 
So it runs into a lot of money. And then there's also, if they do like a ground search or anything like that, sending out helicopters, money. The police will Actually, only do- I wanted to ask about that. Um, there was no, I mean, again, in the media stereotype, some a young girl goes missing in a small town in Ohio, hundreds of people show up to comb the woods, right? Mm. And there was some version of that with Maura Murray, but there was complications with like people, which I didn't know, <laughs> like people who had private property said, nope, you can't search my property. I'm going like, wow, that that's that's problematic, isn't it? You know, yeah. that somebody near where somebody met missing says, you can't search my, my property. But anyway, I don't know if there's a law like that in Japan. Was there any search in Japan? They like did. actual people going out looking? They did like a helicopter search of the area, um, but like extensively, no. They just kind of like looked from above, you know. Did they do an electronic search? I mean, obviously one of the scenarios is she may have gone, Sky may have gone to this place in Japan and then left and gone to another place, mm -hmm. either within Japan or anywhere, right? Yeah. But yeah. Again, this is a media stereotype is like a police officer sits in front of a computer, five clicks and like, well, we have no record of anyone traveling anywhere in Japan by under this passport and nobody's left the country under this passport. That's not possible. The passport question, I mean, that she didn't leave three days later under her passport. I mean, I, I, I just always assume that a U.S. That passport could, is I believe that could be flagged. But not but found. They, the thing is, they let her in, and like the Japanese protocol is to either have like a visa on file or a ticket out. So, so she had a ticket out? Nope. Don't know that. No, she had no ticket out. And they just saw like a young woman like crying, upset, and they just let her go. So even if you have protocols in place, you know. They may but not you, always be adhered to. And so they let her in. By the embassy. I mean, has somebody physically told you that there's no way to track whether her passport was used to leave the country? That record doesn't exist. Or... No. Um, I feel like I have asked that outright. And I feel like it wasn't being tracked in the same way at that time or something. But ultimately, like nothing has ever come up with her passport again, from what I've been told. Was it flagged at the time? So if, if she three days later flew to Jakarta, would it would the Jakarta authorities flagged her US embassy? I believe so. Okay. I believe so. Yeah. So you so think that you have evidence that she didn't fly to a third country. I don't think she flew it. back to the United States. I don't think so. No. Because we're going back to the fact that, yeah, in that part of Japan, you and your mom stood out, probably your sister stood out. Mm -hmm. So people saw her for a couple of days, but there were no sightings reported to you after you came there or after you left her so the first day we got there was april 10th by the time we were able to my mom was able to get a passport and us to get out there 
Um, she was last seen on April 10th in Nabori Betsu at an inn. So we had... So the um, day that you got there was, was the, the last day, day she was, seen. was last seen. Yes. But, but we you didn't a, find out about that until later. Until later, yes. Because we had the press conference on the 12th or the 13th. I believe it was the 13th. So by the time it was like an evening press conference, it hit the news uh, that night, like the TV TV news that night. And in the morning, it hit newspapers. And then we started getting the leads like up to like maybe only like three days where there was actually significant like valid leads. There was a, like um, an Austrian man at a metro stop that had helped her get a ticket because she couldn't figure it out at the kiosk. There were the people at the inn in Nabori Betsu, and then there was a taxi driver. And that was it. And and the last date was April 10th. April 10th was the last you day were she there. was seen. And, and yep. because in a lot of missing person cases, I mean, even silly things like Elvis is still being cited and things like that, <laughs> but, but you don't have a sighting after April 10th. No, not that I know of, unless it's like yeah. in the police report in Japan. Uh, I okay. You know, if if you could make one thing happen, I mean, obviously, aside from finding her, your sister, but like procedurally, or in media, or in police, what would you like to have happen? I think having a a standard, a standardized protocol for when something like this happens. I know it's rare. Um, um, and I would also like for families to know the realities of it. Like there are strict timelines where it is essential for you to get out there and start looking for you to report it. Um, and I know like in my sister's case, we didn't even know she was missing until like two days after because she was 21. She was staying at a friend's dorm. And my mom was so excited because she's so like introverted that my mom was like, yes, please go. Please enjoy your life. Be a college student, be an adult. Awesome. So we didn't think much of it. Um, and then not having like if the police could take things a little bit more seriously <laughs> when they first happen, even if it does turn out to be just somebody having a bad day and running off, you know, the fact that we knew she went to the airport, we, we had the itinerary. The police just told us, oh, um, go see if you can find her car. And what happened this year, I was finally able to contact the Southington Police Department. I got a new detective. The detective knew nothing about this case, had never heard about it. And the first thing he asked me was, did you find the car? And I was just like, what do you mean? Like, yeah, we went to the airport. It was uh, my parents and then my boyfriend, now husband at the time. Um, and we we're like, yeah, we found the car at the airport we looked through it we didn't know what to do so we took it and drove it home and, and i'm like my parents that, that breaks every rule of police procedure yeah that the family is going to be looking through the car touching everything moving mm -hmm. things around yeah 
it, we didn't do anything wrong because you were sent there by the po police. Yeah. But but from the point of view of like forensics or, or this is, I mean, this is where we're all, we always talk about truth is stranger than fiction. Just imagine a CSI show where the the CSI guy just tell you, you know, solve it. <laughs> we, we we don't have much time. Do you want to like do your own autopsy? You know, do you want like check check your car? I mean, just but in real life, police departments have very limited personnel. Yep. They have limited time because like crime doesn't stop just because one incident has happened. Mm -hmm. They also have protocols themselves, which is you're telling us a 21 year old decided to do something and you have no evidence that any foul play or anything was was happened. I mean, yeah. because often, you know, family will say this is so unlike her or that mm -hmm. he would have never done this. You understand how police have a certain yep. rolling of the eyes because yes. they've seen so many cases <laughs> where the the wonderful son that everybody said was a great son actually did rob those banks. Yeah. And the yeah. parent, the family just didn't know about it. the family. I mean, the, there's a saying among police, the family are the least knowledgeable about their own kids yeah know, i can believe that yeah unfortunately may be true in in, in in many cases yeah so there's there's a protocol and and there's also playing the odds and this is true for journalism and for the police right is that a, a woman is murdered let's check out the husband and or the ex-boyfriend mm -hmm. right and because the odds are like overwhelmingly in in cases of a woman being murdered yeah mm -hmm. you, you know it is it is the yeah yeah right? but I mean, even in a situation like ahead. this i looked at my own family differently because of how everybody reacts differently to a situation like this where i'm like looking at my dad i'm like how are you not how is there no emotion and same with my brother and then because that's also like what I've seen on TV and through media. And I'm just like, this is toxic. It becomes really toxic when you start believing the things that you've seen on TV, you know? It's it's crazy. But well, yeah, in um one of the good pieces of news about, and again, I, I keep referring to true crime, even if your case doesn't fall in that category, but just the, the sort of, I guess, mystery, unsolved mystery phenomena, uh, is that there are emerging journalists. I mean, there, there's money there now. I yeah. mean, you know, these true crime podcasts, some of the ones are huge hits, and people are, are their entire life livelihood is now you know, mystery cases yeah. and the regular media have Dateline and NPR with the uh, serial, you know, the, yeah. it has been noticed that if you do long form investigative journalism, that there is a profit yeah. there. Yeah. And so there's more and more of that actually being done now, whereas there was a real dip because it was so expensive and it just didn't seem to pay, pay off. So mm -hmm. one piece of good news is that this genre has made us look at cases with greater depth than has ever been maybe before it yeah it... i think yeah if i remember trying to start a podcast maybe in like 2015 and there wasn't just i couldn't nothing was happening i just like scrapped it because it wasn't i had no um i had no platform nobody knew who i was and i'm just talking about you know my missing sister and it just didn't 
it just wasn't working. Like I couldn't, it wasn't the right time or place for it. Um, but now like times have changed and it is like, it is definitely, I feel like I was able to like talk about it at the right time, even though like 14 years have passed. But I also remember something to note, it was 2008 and the news cycle was Obama, Hillary. It was the president, a year of a presidential election. So even if like 500 people went missing, I guarantee maybe like two yeah. would be covered, you know, just because there's, of- There's the luck of the draw of what else is going on, yep. right? At the same time. Yep. There. Well, this has been very educational for, for me and I wanna thank you for your, your time. And I think our students will learn a lot from it because so. <laughs> we, we certainly wanna produce people who work again all over. We, we, we train people to make movies in Hollywood. We train, we have a gaming lab, you know, gaming oh, cool. is the largest media industry. Uh, we also do all the areas of marketing, branding, public relations, advertising, but one core that runs through it is that we think that finding accurate information and then translating it to non-specialist audiences in a story format is what we do because we're human human beings have told stories our whole existence before mm -hmm. there was history itself we told stories right and the trusted storytellers were the ones who got it right yeah <laughs> and that's that's a real struggle today in this just empire of misinformation yeah. and bad information and destruct toxic information and so i think you're a hero for what you've done not just for your own family and in this one case but for the rest of us who really need to understand all the challenges out there you've told us about stuff that i don't think people understood the, the cost of what you've paid yeah trying to help and and i know from your podcast and your tiktok you're not just trying to help your sister and your family you're trying to help us all and so we Oh, you deserve you. the thanks of a grateful nation. You use a political oh. phrase. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> oh, I was just trying to just get through the day most days. <laughs> but yeah, I just always wanted to kind of share the realities of it and the struggles that come along with it and just trying to get through just one day at a time because the systems that we have in place that we are told to trust aren't always going to work out for us the way we think. And it's not like a bad thing, but you do have to address it. So then it can be changed or it can, you can come at it in a different way to make it work. Um, I wish, you know, I was able to do more earlier on, but there's so many variables in place when things like this happen, like, where you're from, your age, your life experience, like everybody reacts differently to it. And you need to always factor in like the odd character because not everybody is, you know, I don't know, Nicole Kidman or something. Not everybody's like playing this grand character or a character that knows wh what to do and how to handle things. I think so, you said something else. I, I guess we could go on for many hours because everything. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> but no, no, but but you just said something else. And we talked about this a little bit is that somebody goes missing. 
And then everybody talks about they did this, they did that, they did this, and and everything is 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 parsed and analyzed to death. Mm-hmm. And we often forget human beings are odd. Yeah, we, yeah, we are, we are not robots. We don't pre-program ourselves. You know, yeah, we eat lunch every day at the same diner, but that one day we ate lunch at McDonald's, and the parent some somebody would say, oh, they never they would never go to McDonald's, but yeah, but that day they did. And it has nothing to do with them being killed, but they, they just happened to go. So that's, that's one of the challenges is again, with too much information, misinformation over analysis is a real issue. Yeah. Of, yeah. Of cases, and it gets in the way of maybe solving some, some cases out there, but yeah, like some things may seem odd, but they have no relevance to the case whatsoever. But people get stuck on those things and that that hinders the advancement of moving forward with your life or the case or anything so one final question um did you mention that you're thinking about going back to japan i would like to i am currently waiting on uh the detective in southington had found that the um my parents' DNA was stuck in the Connecticut State Lab after all these years. So I'm waiting for the uh, a black notice and a yellow notice for Interpol. Unfortunately, they have been um, understaffed because of the conflict in Ukraine. And there's a backlog of over like 3,000 missing persons cases. And there's only like two people in the department right now. <laughs> um, wow. That, yeah. is, that, is, that is an incredible fact. I mean, we, we, we see the overwhelmingness of like baggage handling at the Amsterdam airport, but you think about 3000 missing cases, probably going back decades mm-hmm. and there's two people there. Yeah. Away. And yeah. So I'm waiting for something like that. Um, and like with COVID happening, I didn't, you, something else you have to consider you have to consider the other country's culture and the I, I as an American, it's we're considered very arrogant and like, you know, you know how we're probably perceived by many other countries. I'm not about to run into Japan and cause a scene that's disrespectful. And if, if I want results, if I want like help, I have to like do it in a respectful way. So I've always wanted to go back to Japan. If I don't get any hits with the Interpol, then yeah, uh, ultimately I would like to go back to Japan. I still need to get a lawyer to get the police records. If there's anything there, there are certain, it's never easy. (laughs) I can't just go and get on a plane and show up. Like nobody will help me. Like that's the reality. I don't, I can't just show up at the consulate, even if I email them now, like there's very little that they can do. It's frustrating. Well, we, we have great uh, sympathy for your situation and, and you've also taught us about empathy for how many people are also going through this, thousands and thousands of people. Yeah. And we have to keep them in mind and also try to understand how we can try to fix media and law enforcement systems to be more proactive and kindly. I mean, there's a there's a TV show out there I've never watched, but I remember the police telling me that 
most crimes or cases are solved in 48 hours or they're not. When, when everything is fresh, the witnesses are fresh, the evidence is fresh, that's when you have a, a moment there. And I also remember police saying, luckily, most criminals leave, I mean, proverbially drop their wallet and leave their fingerprints everywhere. Yeah. There are very few criminal masterminds. Usually, people who get away with something are people who are completely unconnected to the person, mm -hmm. or they're lucky. They just, you know, the, yeah. the CCTV camera was out of action that morning or something yeah. like that. but nowadays like everybody has like a ring camera on their yeah. house or in their car there's like yeah. so much more i remember like yeah it just didn't exist in 2008 and you think it would because it wasn't that long ago but like even when we asked like the airport for their cameras they're like oh you don't see anything on these things <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But you still see so many cases. And we have just recently with the Gabby Batido case, the Moab murders, where, yeah, the technology is there, but like, it's still, there's a lot of holes yeah. everywhere. Right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and, 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 and some cases get, I mean, the Gabby Batido case gave attention to Gabby Batido, but also gave it attention to like, well, there are 40 other I mean, yeah. when they for yeah. the, uh, her, his, her, uh, I guess I say alleged because like he was never tried. He can, he killed himself, his boy, her boyfriend. What did they find? Like six other bodies Yeah, where they were looking for him. That, and how so crazy is that? Cases. That alone, that like, how, how is nobody out there looking? I feel like there should be a job in place where, you know, people yeah. just hike around and look for people, I guess. I mean, it's kind of dark, but like you gotta like you gotta do that work like you gotta create something to actually make people feel safe and if it is within like the police department i mean they have so much pr work that they need to do because like i don't like i don't i'm when like let's say you get pulled over like are you excited or are you are you nervous when like you get pulled over by a cop I'm never just like, oh, this is going to go well. It's just, <laughs> even if I did nothing wrong, even if it's just like I knew what I did wrong, it's, there's a lot of work that they need to do, a lot of like rebranding to just help. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and again, I, I'm, I'm not defending journalism or the, or, police i mean i think they're both very difficult jobs and it's yeah there's an, old, there's an old saying that it's very easy to be a policeman in a police state right so we yeah. are not yet we're not a police state uh there are many laws and lawyers and different and codicils and and their difficulties in in covering crime stories in in being a police officer but I do think that the more we have these kind of exchanges where people learn about what somebody else is going through, that maybe we'll have general improvement in the way yeah. and more education of the public so that, you know, God forbid that this happens to anybody else, but like the next person that this happens to, they may have seen your podcast. Yeah. It happens to their family and they're going like, oh my gosh, you know, I saw this podcast and now I know we got to do these things right away. Yes. Yeah, Thank because you you're not your told time. that. And the police are doing so many other things. The media is doing other things. Then nobody's, there's no step-by-step -step guide as to like what to do first. What are the steps? What don't I do?
So. Well, thank you. Thank you. I look forward to talking again. And uh, certainly if there's any uh, progress or if you plan to do any travel, I'd, I'd love to know about that. Um, yeah. You will be you will be seen by students here. Uh, the, this will be a module in, in a class that that I teach about uh, so the social media, but also how people can create content that's telling a, a compelling story and is effectively getting their message across. And we thank you for what you that's do. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you for talking with me. This is awesome. Yeah.